Our services, let me say this, our services are really different now, and uh, the cerebral part of my person, my mind bothers me about it because for years and years I did church a certain way, but I just feel the Holy Spirit leading us, and our services are longer. Does that bother y'all? Huh? Huh? Uh, if it does, would you let me know? Because uh, I'm, I'm seeking to follow the Spirit of God, and it means it takes a little longer. You know, we can either be high and dry or, or we can let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. And it takes a little longer. So the Baptist part of me goes, tilt. But the rest of me goes, yes. So what say you? Feel free to make contact with me about that. My notes are online. They always are on Sunday mornings. And uh, I encourage you to go to victorychurchraleigh.com uh, and check out the notes. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I think, uh, is there a QR code up there in, on the seat pocket? They can snap and get to that. I don't see anybody saying anything to me. Isaiah's in a room. He can't see me. So nonetheless, get the notes because there's a lot today. I don't know how far I'm going to get, but we see what ha we'll see what's happening. God's dealing with me to talk about foundational things this year. One of the foundational things that our uh, culture has minimized instead of maximized is attendance in a local church. That went over real big. And here's what you'll find. The, uh, the spirit of Antichrist wants to do away with religion, Christian, particularly Christianity, particularly local churches that meet together. He wants that spirit or attitude wants to do away with that, not just in America, but around the world. I fight that with every fiber of my being. And I hope you do too, right? Uh, thank God we still live in a culture that gives us freedom of religion, and we make that a freedom of relationship with Jesus, and we can share him with whosoever will, right? So I just want to share again a few minutes here. I've been talking about why the church exists, and I'm going to go there again today. I've talked about my responsibility as pastor last week, and I didn't really finish all of the notes that I had. And I, I want to emphasize a couple of things, and then and then uh, uh, talk about the responsibility of each person in, involved in a local church and why that's really important. Uh, the role of the pastor in the local church, I mentioned this last week, and there's one paragraph that I want to repeat again. Healthy churches maintain a healthy balance between preaching the Word, allowing the Holy Spirit to manifest Himself with spiritual gifts and with the tangible presence of God. They create an environment for relationships and then together reach out to the community. That's the way it ought to be, right? So uh, I, that, that's the reason we've made the changes that we make. And um, I, I just feel like there's going to be a moving of the Holy Spirit again in the local church. And, and we're making room for that here at Victory Church. And I mentioned this last week, really important. And I appreciate uh, Lana Shields did our five-minute anointing. We call it Wednesday night. And she even mentioned this. You know, uh, if you want to be a strong believer, you put God's word first place in your life. Everybody say the word first. Then you put the Holy Spirit second, not first. Say Holy Spirit second. You don't put him first. You put the word first. If you put the Holy Spirit first, you'll get off and, and follow a devil. Now, how do you know the Holy Spirit speaking to you? He only agrees with Scripture and never disagrees with it, right? That's why you got to know the word well. That's me. Man, listen, since I came to Jesus in 1976, it was my utmost challenge to know this book, to get this book inside me, because the idea was, ain't nobody going to lead me the wrong way, because I'm going I'm to know. I'm going to know if they're sharing the word, or I'm going to know if it's just their, their opinion and it's just platitudes. I want the word, right? 
So uh, uh, the word first, the spirit second, experience or feelings last. Everybody say feelings last. Now listen, we live in a feeling-oriented culture. And uh, the younger generation particularly, they want to experience things. They're learning things, but they want to learn by experience, uh, you know. And, and the truth is, you need to know Jesus. One thing you need to know about him, he wants you to walk by faith and not by feelings. He wants you to divorce yourself from feelings and live by his word. That went over real big. I don't want to. I, I, don't want to I don't want to divorce my feelings. Well, you know what? You're going to have a hard time with God. We walk by faith and not by sight. That's what the scripture says. Uh, I learned a long time ago because I was very feeling oriented. Most people are in their teenage years. And when I came to Jesus just before age 18, uh, and I found out eventually that, you know, you gotta, you gotta put this feeling thing aside. When I did that, it was a big grow up day for me. And it was, uh, man, spirit, my spiritual life began to rise when I decided not to go by what I feel, but to go by what I believe, right? And so my most important role as a pastor is to minister the Word of God to you week after week so you can practically apply it to your life. I do that in our services on Sundays, Wednesdays. Uh, I write a blog a number of days each week. Some days I'm so busy I don't have time to get to it, but generally a blog Monday through Thursday, Friday, sometimes podcasts. I have a podcast a week. encourage you to go on and check that out. You can go to our website or actually have my own little place, MitchHorton.com, and you can uh, access the blogs and the uh, podcasts there as well. I'm also involved in uh, beginning to write books. My second book is done. I'm just waiting to get it published, and then there's several more in the queue. Uh, I just wanted to mention this. I didn't mention it last week talking about pastors. Did you know the charge that God has given to pastors is to preach the word? A pastor's call is to not make you feel good. A pastor's call is not necessarily to be your best friend. In fact, you know what? I may be the person that challenges you the most, and I may be called by God to say some things you don't like to hear. That went over big. But I'm called to obey the Lord. That's what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus, you know what? You remember, you remember uh, in, the, in the Gospels, Jesus would be preaching and it's, I think it's in the book of John, it says, and it says, many of his disciples no longer followed him after that. The crowds were around him. Many no longer followed him because of some of the things he said. You know, if you're in this for what you can get and not what you can give, it'll challenge you. If you're in this just to have a feel-good time and make some friends and uh, make some business acquaintances to grow your business and blah, 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 you're going to have a hard time. But you know, if you're in it to seek first the kingdom of God and change, God will help you grow. My job as a pastor, my number one priority, and it always has been, preach the word. Listen, listen, here are four scriptures that emphasize that really strongly. First one's Acts 20, 28. It's a, a, a pastor's conference Paul was having in the city of Ephesus in now modern-day Turkey. It says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock over the over." The flock that the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd, or the King James Version says, feed the church of God, which he's purchased with his own blood. So again, we talked about shepherds and sheep last week. Jesus is the great shepherd, and I'm an under-shepherd under the great shepherd. One of the main jobs of a shepherd is to take the, fee the sheep to the fields where they can, they can graze and they can find good food, right? And that's my job to feed, help you find and feed you the Word of God. Acts 20, 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God, St. Pastor's Conference, and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up. Everybody say, which is able to build you up? 
If you feel let down, you know what? Get the word inside of you. You ever had a low day? Now, now some of you were honest. The rest of you just look at me. Everybody has an off day, like, like you're not on. You're like, it ain't buzzing like it normally does. You have those days? You might have, might have had one of those days this week. I have those kinds of days. I get up, and it's like my body wants to lay into bed. My mind doesn't want to work like I want it to work. And, uh, you know, everything's just kind of backwards and, you know, whatever, broadside. I say, you know what, let's go. I like what Smith Wigglesworth used to say. Lester Sumrall stayed with him when he was a young man. And he asked Smith Wigglesworth how, what he did when he got up in the morning. And uh, he said, uh, he, uh, Lester Sumrall had said something as a young man. And he had said, well, uh, I, I, uh, he said something about his feelings. And it just sent Smith Wigglesworth into a tirade when he said feelings. And then Lester Sumrall said, well, how do you get up in the morning? He said, when I get up in the morning, I throw those bed covers off of me. I see, he said, I put my feet on the floor. And he said, I dance for a long time before God. And I tell my body, let's get moving. And I don't consider what I feel. And you'll do better if you do that as well. The Word of God is able to build you up. So when you have those off days, thank God the Word of God can build you up. That's why you spend time with the Word. First thing in the morning. So I have, uh, uh, on Wednesday nights, I've been talking about how to really uh, soup up your devotional time and really make it sing and, and be a worthwhile time. That should be the most exciting part of your day. If you do it right, go check out Wednesday night meetings where I'm talking about intimacy with God through devotions, and uh, you'll get something out there. Jeremiah 3.15, I will give you shepherds according to my heart. Watch this. Who will feed you with hamburgers and french fries? Oh, that's not what it says. Who will feed you with knowledge and understanding? Yeah. See, my job is not to, you know, let's have a dinner. Let's go do that. No, 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 no. No, my job is to feed you the word. Then Jeremiah 23.4, I will set up shepherds. Over them who will feed them, they shall fear. No, look, if you get the word, watch, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking. Isn't that awesome? Uh, if you get the word of God into your life, lack will be a thing of the past. Because God will always find a way to meet your need. Because he's a shepherd. And he knows you, right? That's why I'm confident as we go into this weird time we're in, we're going to be all right. God's a shepherd. He's got his eye on you. Shepherd's always got his eye on the sheep. God's always got his eye on you. We sang a song in the Baptist church, leaning on the everlasting arms from Deuteronomy 33. Underneath us are the everlasting arms. Don't you like that? So anyway, my first responsibility as a pastor is to minister the word of God to you. That's my primary focus. And I've, I've said this, I've changed it, made a little adjustment. I used to say two, and I'm going to say, if you come one year, if you'll commit to one year, come on Sunday mornings, come on Wednesday nights, read the blogs, listen to podcasts, get involved in small groups, get involved in helping others in our uh, Victory Serve team, your life will be transformed. You'll have to pinch yourself and say, I'm not the same person. And again, I've often said, if you could, uh, if I could go back, I haven't, I, you know, I haven't been to my hometown in a long time. They have annual, um, you know, get-togethers uh, for the school I graduated from in 1975. That's when I graduated from high school. And uh, now a lot of those people, honestly, are deceased, believe it or not. And uh, I'm still kicking. They're going to kick a long time. But... Um, you know, those people, if they knew me now, they wouldn't know me. They wouldn't understand me. The way I think, the way I do life is nothing like it was 
when I was a young person, when my friends that I was raised with knew me. How many know it ought to be that way in your life? The more you walk with God, the less you know the person you used to be. Is that true? Now, if you can't say that, then somehow the word of God is being kicked aside by what you do and how you live. If you'll put the word of God into practice, it'll change your life, right? And it'll change it. My second responsibility is to direct the affairs of Victory Church. God uh, chooses a pastor to oversee local churches. Any God-called local church will have a God-called pastor. And that's a big challenge today. We're living in a day where the local church uh, in some circles is minimized. And I said this last week because of the internet and because of the easeability of information. Now everybody's got information at their fingertips and they don't think they need anybody to say anything to them. They're lone rangers. And let me say, if you're a lone ranger in the family of God today, you're going to get into trouble. I went on a, a safari in the Serengeti, the largest plane in the world, massive land in the world, and uh, got the honor of just watching the, uh, the lions, the pride of lions, just lay in the field. One's way over here, one's over here in the distance, one's not too far from the truck I'm in, and I got my eye on him real strong, you know, and they got one over there. And then you've got the gazelles, you know, you've got to the different smaller animals, and this is actually zebra, they're looking for anything small. And uh, they're just looking around. They just look like they're getting us some sunshine, but they got their eyes open. They're looking for somebody. They're looking for an animal that will wander away from the rest of the pack. And if they can isolate a small animal, the one will get up, his ears will fluff up, and they'll start turning, and they'll be looking, you know. And then he starts creepy creeping, you know, up through the, up through the, uh, uh, the uh, field, you know, and, uh, and, and then he, when he takes a jump, he, he jumps, that little animal gets it. And then the other ones, if he's trying to run, the other ones just, you know, they catch up with him. Why? He, he, he left the pack. If you're by yourself today, you're going to have trouble. Troubles in our future, challenges in the future. In fact, the most difficult time on planet earth is in our future. That's not fun to say, but that's what Jesus said the life would be like before he comes back, right? So question, why would I, why would I uh, uh, gather together with believers in a local church less instead of more if I know Jesus is coming back? Why would I isolate myself? If I'm doing that, I'm listening to the voice of the enemy. So again, my job as senior pastor is to uh, direct the affairs of our ministry here. God has given us a vision um, uh, here is to help people become who God created them to be. And that's what we do in everything we do. We line up everything we do is to helping people become who God created them to be. If it's not, we need to lope it off, right? So, you know, everything we're doing. So, again, let me say this. There's no higher uh, spiritual authority in a local church than the pastor. And now I don't even like the word to use, uh, I don't like to use the word authority because people misunderstand authority now. And then, uh, authority has, um, you know, has a, a negative connotation for a number of reasons now because a lot of people have abused their authority. But I'm not a lone ranger in that. We have a board of directors that helps us oversee the affair, the financial affairs of this ministry. I don't oversee that. But as far as spiritual things and what is taught here, I am the person that is, uh, is bottom line in charge of that. And, and I have to be responsible for that. I give, uh, direction and focus to what we do and why we do it. I've made some changes in recent years, and uh, I actually, uh, a lot of people don't realize this because, you know, we come from different places and local churches do it different ways, but um, uh, I don't run our church. 
Some people think, well, go see if Pastor Mitch wants to do it. It's not about what I want. It's about what God wants. And then I have a team that helps me. And my adage for our team is none of us is as smart as all of us. Isn't that good? So I don't run Victory Church by myself. In fact, truth is, I'm out of the daily affairs. Susan often asks me stuff. I don't oh, know. I don't have a clue. You have to go ask so-and-so. Well, why don't you know? Because I'm not in the middle of everything. Uh, you know, years ago, a number of years ago, back in, what, 2016, we said um, Mira as executive. Stand up, Mira. Mira's executive pastor. Give her a hand. I smell a devil. I heard it. So you come from a church and say, well, what are you doing with a, with a woman in charge? I double dog dare you to come and talk to me about that. <laughs> Don't forget it was Priscilla and Aquila. Who was the lady who sold purple cloth? She was a prayer woman. Acts 16, Lydia. Yeah. And there were other women who were strong in the Lord in the New Testament. Go read the end of uh, Romans, I think. He's got a big, long list. Bunch of women right there. You got to understand in Bible days, women were not educated like men. I think that's very sad, and that was a cultural thing. And uh, the women, it said, let the woman be silent in the church. Well, they were silent because they, did, they, they, they weren't privileged to go to school, and they were asking their question. They're sitting on one side of the church, man sitting on the other side. Hey, what's he talking about? She's hollering to her husband during the church. The pastor, hey, what's, what is he talking about? And, and Paul had to say, be silent in the church. You know, when I going to be saying, well, I go to India and Africa. That happens. You got ladies on one side, the men on the other. Y'all ever seen that? Well, that's common in other parts of the world here. We just kind of amalgamate together, which I think is better, really. But now, thank God, women have an education. Aren't you glad, women? Let me tell you something. Anywhere where Christianity shines, women will be elevated. And you need to know that. Huh? Satan hates women from a woman not influenced by a man came Jesus the Christ. And Satan hates women because of that. You hear me? So we have a, a Mira. I think she does a great job. If you don't know her, I can tell you, we think Mira does a great job. How many think she does a great job? Yeah. So again... There's actually a really good book. You may find this quickly. Uh, Sean's good at this. The Woman Question by Kenneth E. Hagan. He wrote a book in 1974 because he got such flack about women being used in ministry and people coming out. From, I came from a Baptist church. I'm telling you, they wouldn't let women do stuff. Some will, most won't. But uh, anyway, he got such flack, he wrote a book. And it's one of the, I think it's probably the best book I've ever read on the subject. And I have it in my, and every once in a while, I'll pick it up and read it. But uh, again, The Woman Question by Kenneth E. Hagan. Uh, he can't find it. It's probably hard to find. Anyway, uh, it's a really good book about women in ministry. So nonetheless, I have turned over all of the, the um, uh, natural things and actually leading our, our staff team. Mira leads our staff team and, and just does a lot of things so, so that I can give myself to the Word of God in prayer. My focus is on studying, it's on writing, producing podcasts, producing blogs, and enabling believers to grow in the Word of God. And you'll find this anywhere where a pastor is able to get along with God, 
and get in the Word and pray, the church will grow. Acts chapter 6, uh, the church in Jerusalem began to grow, and, and uh, the apostles had to spend so much time administrating over the natural affairs of feeding people and helping people and doing this and that, that they appointed the first seven deacons who were full of the, of the Holy Ghost and faith. And they appointed them over the natural affairs of ministry. And they said, but we will give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Listen, anywhere the pastor is able to give himself to prayer and the ministry of the word, if he does it right, the church will grow. Right? If you have a church that never grows, I I would say the pastor's hindered. So everywhere a church, let me go further and say this, anywhere a church can, if they can pay the senior pastor uh, a salary of some kind so he can get himself in the Word, the better off the church will be. I know Paul was bivocational. I know he made tents. I know there's a place for that when churches are small. But I say for any local church that is doing anything to affect the community, it's best if those people gang together and choose to support the pastor in the work of God. There it is. There's the book, The Woman Question. That's, uh, yeah, that's the updated version. Anyway, I'd encourage you. If you've got any questions, I dare you to read that book. It's just really a great book. Kenneth Hagin is very simple, and uh, but very thoroughly uh, scriptural in what he shares, and I really like that book. I recommend that. So nonetheless, if a church will allow the pastor to get into the Word, things will grow. Today, let's talk about you for the next few minutes. I got extensive notes, and I put a lot in here, and I want you to look at the notes because there's some things I won't share, but I put them so you can read them, just some things I get from books and stuff. Uh, nonetheless, six responsibilities we all have towards a local church. Here's some questions there in my notes. Why do you, what do you plan to get out of attending a local church? Why do you, what, what are you looking to get out of? Is it, some people just come to church to make friends, right? You, 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 did you know that? Do you know some people follow their friends to church and their friends wander off somewhere else, so they go somewhere else? Did you know that? So do you come to church because your friend comes? Or do you come to church for the word? I think I mentioned this last week. I started the church in 1988 in a really small town of 6,000 people in South Carolina. And, and it shocked me. People would come to my church, and then some would visit with their relatives. And they'd say, well, I'll go to so-and-so church over here. And uh, say, I like your church, but I'm over there. And you, they say, you know why I'm over there? I said, well, no, tell me why. Well, because I got a burial plot in the cemetery behind the church. I'm not making that up. And if I leave that church, I lose my burial plot. Well, my Lord, you're thinking about dying while you're living. And I don't think you're really going to live thinking about dying. Huh? And then people had some uncanny reasons I found over the years for attending church. A lot of people really follow their, fr- their friends. That adage, birds of a feather flock together. I found that to be really true. Do you come because of the word? Or do you come for another reason? It ought to be for the Word. Some people go to a church because they have a really pretty building. And it's been there a long, long time. And they sit there looking around at the building. How pretty it is. That building's not going to save your soul. That building's not going to answer your prayers. That building's not going to help you when you're sick. That building's not going to marry your kids. That building's not going to bury somebody in your family. It's just there. So why do you come? Hmm. what's the major reason you attend church? Do you know your responsibilities before God uh, as being involved in a local church? So here's six of them. I, I thought it'd be good to mention to see how far we get today. Uh, number one, uh, the first responsibility is to attend the services and get involved. Everybody say, I should be 
attending the services, and I should be involved. Now, I'm going to say this. Now, this is, um, I'm not going to make a lot of friends saying this. I'm going to say it anyway. If your church has its door open and they are having services, if you're physically able, you ought to be here. And if you're laying at home and your church have services, it's saying something about your spiritual life. And it's also painting a picture to the people associated with you about what is really important in your life, like your children. So when my children were young, yes, I'm a pastor, but I haven't always been a pastor. And when Susan and I started having youngins, I wasn't a pastor, but I did work for a church. Nonetheless, when I was young, my parents, uh, they weren't in ministry, but you know what? Uh, my church was open three times a week. Guess how many times I went to church every week? Three. What did it say to me as a little boy going to church when, when it wasn't convenient, when we didn't feel good, when we got up late, when we had a busy Saturday and we going on Sunday? Not just Sunday morning, we going Sunday night too. What did it say to me? Well, something about that church place must be important in life. My mom and daddy go and they just don't miss. And then it really shocked me one morning when my uncle, uh, when my uncle Sonny came with my first cousin, Alan, and, uh, and his mama and, uh, and, and his brother and his sister, and they just sitting there. And so they come on a, uh, they, they show up, you know, just before we leave for church on a Sunday morning, they show up. And you know what my daddy said? Well, y'all feel free right here. You know, we got stuff in the refrigerator. We got, you know, we got seats right here. Feel free to turn TV on. Or you can come to church with it, but we're going to church. I mean, it's like I went, huh? Uh, my uncle's here. My, same thing happened when my grandmother came, you know, at, because we were in between where they lived in the beach and they're going to the beach, you know, in the summer for a week. And, uh, and my grandmother came and, uh, and it's like, well, you stay right here. We're going to church. And so they could choose to go to church. But we didn't stay home even, even if relatives were there. What do you think that did to me as a kid? Did you know even when I smoked pot and did mess, I went to church? Now, I know I was the biggest hypocrite in, this, in the room. But there was something. And did you know when I got on my own, there was something in me. I just I knew I needed to go because it was, it was put in me as a child. It was a habitual thing. So if you're missing and you're not coming... You're saying a lot to your kids. Somebody said it gets real quiet in a church when you talk about a couple of things. When you talk about children, it gets real quiet. And then when you talk about tithing, it gets real quiet. So anyway, attend the services, get involved. Uh, there's more involvement needed than, than watching online, right? I mentioned this last week, Hebrews 10. Uh, this is New Living Translation. Uh, verse 23 says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Have y'all found that to be true? Verse 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And then it says, verse 25, let us not neglect our meetings together and as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. King James Version says, and so much the more as you see the day, that is his return coming, approaching. Um, there is in the notes, and I'm not going to take time because it's really long, long, long. In my Bible, I've attached notes that I get from various books and resources I read. And I was reading the scripture in preparation and Rick Renner's sparkling gems in the Greek New Testament. That one came up and I've got a big long, um, 
uh, notation from that book in my notes. I would like for you to read that. If you ever have a time in life um, that you feel discouraged, defeated, and depressed, he uses the word forsaking and takes it apart in the Greek language. And he basically says, don't forsake. And that word, it has a connotation to it that when you feel down, when you get feel low, when nothing's working right, don't quit going to church. And that's what the enemy will do. Again, he seeks to isolate. The time you need it most is when you want it the least. And most people try to isolate. Don't do that. We need each other. We need to be a part of a local church, even more so when, when you're challenged in various ways. Three things happen when you attend a local church. Number one, the atmosphere infects you. Everybody say, I'm infected. That's not a bad thing in this context. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, amplified. Do you not discern and understand that you, the whole church at Corinth, are God's temple, his sanctuary, and that God's spirit has his permanent dwelling in you to be at home in you collectively as a church and also individually? And I think I mentioned this last week. There is a presence here that you won't find anywhere else. I have the presence of God come on me in my personal time with God when I read and when I pray, but there's an extra presence that comes when we're gathered together. How many know what I'm talking about? It's alluded to in Ephesians 2.19. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all God's holy people. You're members of God's family. Together we're his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and the cornerstone mentioned this few weeks ago is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple of the Lord through him you Gentiles are also uh, are being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. There is an atmosphere in this room. We may not notice it, but there's an atmosphere. How many have ever been to somebody's personal home? I've had this happen many times. Or I'm visiting somebody in the hospital room. Or I'm going, hello. <laughs> or I'm going, I'm joking. I'm sorry, y'all. I like to pick. You have to know that about me. <laughs> Turn that thing off. No, <laughs> but how many have had the experience of walking into a break room, walking into an office at work, or walking into somebody's house, and um, walking into somebody's house, and boy, it feels tense. Have you ever had that happen? Yeah, what is that? Words. Words have been thrown around, and it's feeling tough. You can feel the room, right? Did you know when you walk into a church? I've been to churches, they feel starchy. They feel religious. In fact, listen to this. I came here 30 years ago in October. The very building, should I say this, Susan? <laughs> Susan looked at me like, wait, wait, Mitch. It's okay. The very building that we were in had a devil in it. We had to cast it out. Uh-huh. You know what it was? A religious devil. It wanted everybody to talk about everybody. It wanted everybody to be a good old boy. And it wanted nobody to worship God and be, uh-oh, you showed the building. Shouldn't have done that. I'll just tell you the rest of the story. When that thing came out, when we left, it came back. Now, I hope they ran it out, whoever's there now. But a building can have an atmosphere, right? But how many know you make the atmosphere in here? 
Huh? And there ain't no devil that can stay here. I won't let them stay. They got to go. In fact, if you try to bring one with you, I'm going to run it out. So if you got the devil on you and you feel uncomfortable, it's because I've already told him you can't stay. He's got to go. You hear me? There's an atmosphere here and there's an atmosphere of faith. And then there's an atmosphere of trust, an atmosphere of love, and it'll get off on you. So if you don't feel loved and cared for, you get into this environment, and it'll, it'll make you feel like something's different here. It's called the love of God. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. How many hear me? There's an atmosphere. So we carry an atmosphere. You need that atmosphere. Uh, Jesus said this, Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together. As my followers, I am there among them. Uh, Amplified says, wherever two or three are gathered, drawn together as my followers into my name, there I am in the midst of them. So, so again, that, that's incredible to think. More than two, where two or three, more than one, where two or three are gathered together, Jesus said, I, I'm there. Uh, there is it the matrix. I was watching a movie back in the 90s. I know it's weird. I like sci-fi sometimes, sometimes. But they had this one guy, the guy that was the main movie guy, and he was in this building that was being built, and it was a, a steel frame building, and it had multiple stories to it. And this one guy, he became a thousand of himself. I don't know if you, I don't even know the name of the movie now. But anyway, he was running up and down every girder, every one of them, just running everywhere. And he, he became a bunch of himself. Did you know Jesus does that? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, but he's closer than a brother to you. And when you get together as believers, he's right here with you. In fact, I ask him, many times I say, Lord, will you walk the aisles tomorrow? And then I say, Lord, I, I, you know, I don't have any scriptural basis except what you said, Matthew 18, but would you stand beside people during worship and minister to them? So if your heart's burning in you, if you have a desire to stop doing some things that you should not be doing, it may be Jesus right there. Well, you can't see him. You don't need to see him. But I'm telling you, his presence is real. How many hear me? And more and more as we see the day approaching of his coming back, he's going to manifest himself that way more and more. Another thing about church attendance is this. Uh, you, you do realize that you become like the people you hang around. Huh? How many want to hang around people of God, people of faith? I wasn't going to do this, but I, I need to because I feel the tug. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, and this is the Amplified New Testament, so I'm gearing it up. Here it is, right? Classic. There it is. Uh, 1533, do not be so deceived and misled. Evil companionships, communion, associations, corrupt and deprave good manners and morals and character. Some people have a hard time walking with God because they're not willing to let go of some of their friends. Sometimes it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. They'll pull you down where you don't need to be. How many hear me? You need some friends? Find a good church. You can find good friends at church. You won't usually find good friends at a bar or a dance hall. Huh? But you will, or at a rock concert, because they're usually high on whatever. But you can find good friends here, right? I'm hanging out with this because I feel the Holy Spirit. 
there's some of you, you're not progressing in God because you're not willing to change your friends. And until you're willing to let go of some of your friendships you've had for a long time, you'll not progress, you'll stay where you are and you'll stymie and you could fall back. When I came to Jesus, I had friends that I knew uh, since before I attended school. Actually, it was age three. I met them at church. My best friend's name was Randy, and I met him before I started school. And we would hang out at church together and run around the churchyard together and make mischief together at church. You know, he was my friend. Well, he didn't meet Jesus. I did. And I had to say, one day I just said, well, Randy, I love you. You're my friend. But I'm not going to be smoking pot anymore, and I'm not going to be drinking, and I'm not going to be looking at this mess you're looking at. I'm not doing it anymore. But I want you to come to Jesus. And I, actually, I went to a pool hall. I don't advocate this. But a number of my drug buddies was there after I came to Jesus. The Lord said, I want you to go. And I knew what he was going to do. And I started playing pool with them. They're drinking. And they got, you know, they're doing whatever their favorite drug is. They asked me if I had any drugs. I said, man, I found something. I'm high as a kite. They said, really? I'm not mad. I said, yeah. I said, they said, really? I said, man, this is the best stuff I ever had in my life. I feel better right now than I've ever had in my whole life. I, it gets you on the inside. They said, man, what is it? What is it? I said, we just playing pool. I said, they said, come on. And I wouldn't even tell them. I said, well, man, I don't know if I need to tell you. Oh, come on, man. We played pool for a while. Now, I, I knew if I told them, they'd change. They said, must be some good stuff. I said, I'm, I'm not kidding. It's the best stuff. I've had the most high I've ever had in my life. <laughs> and finally, they begged me, what is it? What is it? Well, I said, I made Jesus, my Lord. September 12th. In 1976, it changed my world. When, when I did that, the whole countenance went, uh. And they said, oh. See, and then they didn't want to talk to me much after that. I had to get rid of my records. We had vinyl records. I had to get rid of my eight-track tapes. Y'all, some of you know what that is. Yeah. I had to get rid of some friends. Now, I still love them. If I saw them, I'd say hi. But I'm not going to hang out and listen to their music. Right? Until you get rid of some of your friends, you're not going to walk with God like you should. Now, you can call that whatever, but that's the word of the Lord for somebody today. Right? I got a little bit longer. Y'all okay? Relationships encourage you. Second thing in a local church, the atmosphere grabs you. The relationships will encourage you. That's the reason we start small groups here. Be involved in a small group. Take somebody out lunch. Get to know somebody. If you're alone here, you're alone on purpose. And I still listen. I, you know, I got eyes in the I used to tell my mama, you got eyes in the back of your head. She'd see stuff. And I can tell some people, you, you squeak right into driveway just before the service starts. And then once it's over, you're done. You're out of here because you don't want to talk to anybody. And if you keep that up, you're not going to progress spiritually. How are you going to sharpen somebody else if you're never around them? How can they minister to you if you're never around them, Right? See, that's American culture. We do what we want to do. But listen to the scripture, Ecclesiastes 4, 9. Two people are better than one. They can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble, verse 11. Likewise, two people lying close together can have e can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can attack and be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord's not easily broken. 
You need people in your life. Men, every Tuesday, 6.30, here's my, here's my little uh, commercial. We got a big crowd of guys that meet here and drink coffee and talk. It's the best time. And they're getting to the point now they can just bear their heart, share their heart, and we'll weep with each other. We'll shout with each other. And we'll aggravate each other sometimes. Well, we have a lot of fun. Come, guys, 6.30, great time. You need each other. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I've got one of those tools. I started, one of my first jobs was in a grocery store. And I worked in the meat market. And they wanted me actually to, to train to be a meat cutter. But they all had, what do you call that little tool? What do you call it? The round thing you sharpen your knife with. No. What? Holler it out. I can't remember the name of it. I've got one at home, actually, I use. But, but they have these big, real sharp knives. We got the whole half of a cow and its whole hind quarter. And they actually cut them up with saws and big knives. And they had to keep, the, keep those knives razor sharp. And they just got a piece of iron. If I did it, I'd cut half my arm off. But that's what they did. And they, but, but you see, you sharpen each other that way. You want to be sharp and keen spiritually today for the adversary, your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, is walking about seeking whom he may devour. How many hear me? So you can glean from another person. If you think you can do it all by yourself, you're 100% wrong. If, you know, I, I wasn't part of the armed services, but a large portion of our, con- uh, our congregation was. And they teach you the attitude of a team. If you're in the armed forces, you're as, you're as strong as the weakest link on a team. And every man on the team has got to be out for each other. He's not just for himself. If all you're thinking about is I, me, my, and mine, you're on the wrong highway. You need to think about others. Number three, three re, third reason that you need to be involved in a local church and attend, there are opportunities to bless others that will develop you. How many hear what I just said? Uh, the Victory Serve team, we've got a lot of people on our Victory Serve team. They're some great, great, great people. And they help us what we do, uh, do what we do week after week, month after month, year after year. They're some of the best people at Victory Church. And you know what? They're the ones that if there's going to be spiritual growth, they're going to grow. Because they've decided not just to be stale and do nothing. They've decided to put their hand to it. Listen to 1 Peter 4. This is New Living Translation. Excellent translation of what Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. God has given each of you a gift. Everybody say a gift. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Let me say that again. Use them well. Use what well? Use the gifts well that God has given you to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. So so what gift do you have oh no well you know what if you'll do something god will show you what gifts you have you know back back in the 70s when i first came to jesus the first bible school that i attended it was just a year actually i started attending school at night and then full time the next year i quit by uh, the college i was attending i was been an electronics engineer and i just quit that and then went because god called me in february of 1977 into ministry while i was going to school college and uh I said, well, I got to go to Bible school, so I, I quit the college, and I, I enrolled in a, a local Bible college. And, um, 
And you know what? That's when I started seeing that I could, I could be available and do things. So they actually made us into Bible school. Uh, we had to clean things. We had to cut the grass, weed eat. We had to dust the furniture and vacuum and all this. It was part of our responsibility as being part of the Bible school. And, and there was no getting around it. And that taught me the value of doing that. And I saw why we needed it. And I helped that church because they had a big uh, contingency of Bible school students that helped uh, keep the church up. But you know what? You don't need a Bible school we got you and we've got each other, right? And there's all kinds of things that need to be done. But that's when I learned to put my hand to it and don't look back. And ever since then, all these years, I'll be 48 years in Jesus this year. And, uh, and you know, I've always been involved. If I hadn't have been involved, I might be back spiritually where I was back in the 70s. And you know what the sad thing is I see as a pastor? There's a lot of people that fail to grow. They might be 50 years old in Jesus, but they act like a 10-year-old. Well, that went over big, didn't it? Ow. Huh? You ever seen a baby that should grow, but it's 18 years old and it still looks like an infant? There's a disease that way. Uh, sad, isn't it? Right? Or a personality, a person that's adult, but they have a child personality. That's tough, isn't it? You know, those things happen in our world. Genetic things happen. All kinds of things happen. Well, spiritually, you know what happens. And sometimes it's because a person won't apply themselves. If I refuse to apply myself spiritually, I'm not going to grow. And that's why the local church is so good. That's why just staying at home, sipping coffee in your favorite, you know, your favorite pajamas, <laughs> uh, watching church online, you may think that's really cool, but you are not growing spiritually. All you're doing is scratching your spiritual itch, and it'll be there next week again. And you'll still be the same place you are spiritually. How can you connect to others if you never see them? How can you be a blessing to someone else if you're never in their life? Right? That's the sad thing about COVID, right? So what do you say we make a change? And then, for Job 42.10, the Lord restored Job's losses. New King James says, uh, King James says, the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. See, you feel like you're in captivity to your flesh. You got all kind of flesh mess. If you'll, if you'll stop thinking only of yourself. And this is why I love Jesus so much. He's put me involved in things and us ministering to others. As I say, God, I ain't set free from that myself yet. He said, get your, get your tail out there and do it, son. And I've always seen it this way. Somebody said this to me when I was a young believer. Say, point your finger at somebody. And I did. And I said, look at the four looking back at you. Your thumb and three finger. You got one pointing at them, but you got four looking at you. So many times when God uses me to minister to others, he's talking to me. I don't know how many times I've had conversations with people. I've been counseling since 1984. And how many times have I had the occasion, I'm talking to somebody and the very thing coming out of my mouth, that's happening right there. I'm saying, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. When I get them out of my office, we go hit the rug and talk, Right? So, so you grow on the fly. You don't grow by isolated by yourself, never involved. Never, no, you grow when you're involved. I can't encourage you enough. Get involved. The internet can be a trap and a pseudo thing. You, you think you're growing. It's pseudo spiritual growth. It's not real. It'll evaporate in a heartbeat. Anyway, just a thought. Just a thought. Y'all good? Ah, do I have time to go to this next one? I'll do, can I do one more? 
So here's one more, and we'll come back next week. So number one was attend six responsibilities we have towards the church. Attend the services, get involved. Number two, yield yourself to the word spoken by your pastor. Willingly submit yourself to his care. That's a big challenge sometimes. You know, Americans, again, have a, the tendency to have a very independent attitude. Have you noticed that yet? Huh? Now, don't raise your hand, but you know, a lot of us have to deal with an independent attitude. We do what we want to do. I don't care if you don't like it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You can tell just by riding down the roads. People are going to do what they're going to do regardless of the law. Is that true? And see, that independence often keeps us from making commitments. So let me also say this. If you've been disappointed by a church leader, this is a big one, in your past, that disappointment uh, as long as well as the independence can keep you from making commitments and yielding to a pastor. Did you hear me? So that disappointment you have maybe in your past by church leaders and such can cloud your attitude toward the local church. And see, if you judge one person, you'll judge everybody that's like that. If you got a leader that's not done what he's supposed to do, you'll judge other, every other leader. Well, that pastor probably ain't doing what he ought to do. Well, how do you know that? Well, you're thinking that because you still have a judgment. Some men are still judging their wives because of another one they had way back when. In our culture, divorce is a problem, sure. And then, and then the same way, some women can never be satisfied with their husband because of back when. A boyfriend, somebody that did them wrong, a, 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 a previous spouse, right? You got to let the past go. If you don't let the past go, it'll dictate your future. You can't, if, you, if you're living in the past, you haven't let it go yet. If you can't make commitments, you're living in the past. If you can't trust somewhere, you're living in the past, and you've got to let it go, right? And so here's a challenging scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Now, he's talking about the pastors, the local pastor and his staff team, perhaps, and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Recognize those who labor over you, among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Do you recognize, you know, the pastoral role in your personal life? Do you submit to it? Now, you know, I can say it on this side as being a pastor. A lot of people will not submit to a pastor's responsibility. You don't know how many conversations I have in my mind. I'll never tell another soul. But I've had conversations with people, all kinds of people. And I knew full well when I had that conversation, I would never see them again. Because I hit a sore in their life and they knew God needed to deal with them. They need to deal, deal with it and they're not willing to do it. There are some people that are not alive today. This is tough to say. And I, so to speak, pointed my bony, loving finger in their face, said, you need to make a change. The devil will snuff your life out. And it happened. Huh? Then Hebrews 13, 7, oh, it's quiet. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Right? And then, so again, let me talk about this. This is not a domineering rule. It's not a dominating, authoritative attitude. You understand that? I don't think, I, if you think I have that, you need to come and talk to me because that's not my heart at all. 
it's a firm, loving stance on the Word of God that's designed to challenge your flesh. My whole heart, I will challenge your flesh. I challenge my flesh. You know what? You hang around me long enough. If I see something, I say, can we talk? <laughs> Sometimes Susan admits you need to watch it because she knows me. I don't live this way and in another way. I live, this is me, right? Now, here's another one, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey those who rule over you. And that's talking about the pastor and his staff team in a local church. And be submissive. Everybody be submissive. See, that's an, everybody say be submissive. Ain't nobody want to say that. <laughs> say be submissive. <laughs> say I'm submissive. See, that's an attitude of the heart, right? For they watch out for your souls. Now watch this next part. As those that must give account. Hmm. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. I was having a challenge with a lady many years ago. You wouldn't know her. And we were talking, I mean, she was just, I mean, she was, you know, toe-to-toe with me. And I was talking to her, you know, trying to help her. And she just would not be helped. She was out of order. I think she knew it, but she wouldn't admit it. And you know what? It finally came out of my mouth. I said, let me ask you a question. What am I going to say to Jesus when I stand before him? He asked me about you. I don't know what to say. Can you fill in the blanks for me? (laughs) What am I going to say about you? Did you know that I give account for you? Did you know I have to stand up before Jesus to give account of the word of God I preached? Was I honest with you? And when he wanted me to talk to you, and I did, fine. But if I didn't, I got to answer. Then I got to answer for you. I got to answer for your soul. Did I challenge you enough that you made the changes, right? Whoa. I don't know if you've ever read that, but that scripture right there uh, challenges me. Let me balance it out. Pastor and his staff should never act like dictators, right? You know, I'm just, I like to have fun. I'm just like you, but I know my role as a pastor, and my whole role is to shepherd you and love you and be honest with you. I like to have fun, but at the same time, it's sincere fun. When I need to be serious, I can be. And you know what? We need to open up and be able to receive from one another of the grace of God that God's placed on our lives, right? And so again, um, uh, you know, I'm open to suggestions from anybody. My staff team is the adage I have in my head. None of us are as, is as smart as all of us. I live that way. If you think I'm doing something and it's hurtful, come and tell me. Let me know. I'll listen. Whether I agree or not is not the issue. I want to hear. You know, and my staff team, uh, in fact, listen to this. Uh, this is no, 1982. I'm a, I'm a janitor in a big old uh, church's, uh, in a big church. And, and I was in the pastor's office. And he was getting ready to choose uh, somebody else to be on his staff. And I was clean. Okay. I was cleaning his desk. I had to, I had to wipe his desk off and clean the glass. But he had a little paper on there I'll never forget. You know, I know, right? Once you look at it up, I couldn't help. It's a little old piece of paper hanging by itself. You know what it said? He was choosing somebody and he put on there, no yes person. I said, what is a yes person? What is, what is a yes person? That's a person that says what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. 
And I'm going to tell you straight up, I do not like yes people. If you don't like me, I'd rather say, I'd rather you say, I just don't like you. I say, well, I love you. God bless you. Or I might say, I don't like you either, but I'm going to love you. <laughs> right? But on my staff, whew, if you want to get under my skin, whatever that means, tell me what I want to hear, not what I need to hear. I will not like you. I will not like that. And I'll have to pray through to like you. <laughs> I just don't like, yes, some people, you know what? Some people's personality is to satisfy and placate everybody. They're a, a, a chameleon. They're a little lizard that turns green or gray or blue or, or chartreuse, wherever he's at. Don't be that person, right? So anyway, I love suggestions. I love for anybody to say anything. Email me. Put that on the screen. It's on my notes. Pastor at victorychurchraleigh.com. If you've got thoughts, even if you've got attitudes, I love you through your toot. I'll get on my knees and pray for you. Right? But we need each other. So again, the test of maturity in the life of every believer is whether or not they're willing to submit freely to the role of a pastor. Yes or no? Well, it says, if, you can't, if I can't submit to human authority that I can see, how am I going to expect expect to submit to God's authority whom I can't see right Luke 16 10 I'm done here we are one who is faithful in a very little is faithful in much one who is dishonest in a very little is dishonest in much if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth who will entrust you with true riches spiritual things if you've not been faithful in what was another's who will give you that which is your own I did not know as I close here, uh, I was going through a test. All my life, you know, I'm in Tulsa. We go into Bible school. Then I'm on staff at a church. Then I started a church in 1988. Then I'm traveling for two years. And before, just before I came here, I was an associate pastor. God usually placed me in places that challenged me. Where the pastor said and did things I disagreed with. And you know what I found out later? The disagreement was because I didn't see the whole thing. I only saw part of what he was dealing with in an issue. I didn't see the whole issue. That was probably 98% of my disagreements was that. I didn't see the whole. I've looked back and, uh, I've looked back and I said, uh, oh God, how wrong was I? And I wrote a lot of these things in my journal that you'll never see. But see, God had to grow me up. Uh, my, first, uh, uh, my first associate pastor here was unpaid. Y'all okay? It was unpaid in, in the 90s, Clifton Chin. He's had been a missionary in uh, Tai Chung, Taiwan, uh, translating Kenneth Hagin's books into Chinese for many years. He has church there, uh, but uh, it shocked me. I thought, well, well, how'd he do? Look at there. He was at home one one time, and he had started his church. He had been there a number of years, and we were eating, you know, together and talking. And he said, "Well, Pastor, I got something to confess to you." And I just, you know, when somebody says that, me, it's like, okay, here we go. I'm ready. And he said, you know, when I was your associate pastor, he said, I was so upset with you. Listen to what he said. I was so upset with you because of what you were doing and the decisions you were making. He wasn't paid. He wasn't there all week. I was the full time. He wasn't. But he said, I, was, I, I got so upset with you so many times. So he said, you know what? I just want to ask you to forgive me 
I said, there ain't nothing to forgive. He said, no, you don't understand. I judged you. And then when I got off on my own, I came here to Taichung, Taiwan, and, and here I am pastoring that church. He said, you know what? When I look back on why I was upset with you, I would have done the very same thing. Because now I see it from a different perspective. Right? So you may be aggravated with your boss at work. You don't know what he's doing or she. Huh? You don't know what they're dealing with in the hole. Right? So we got to judge with righteous judgment. That's hard when you don't know everything. So for me, I had to make choices to let go of my judgments, let go of my aggravations, get, let go of my discontentment in every church I've ever been at. And now you know what? That stuff stares me in the face. And I say, God, thank you for letting me go through that. Thank you for letting me, letting me see what I didn't understand. Thank you for helping me not light off when I could have and just chewed something out. I would have messed up so badly. How many hear me? So you may be here and maybe you don't like a lot of what I do. I'm good with that. I'm cool. If you think you can help me improve, let's talk. I really will listen. I won't get on you. I'll just I'll say, okay, thank you. Thank you. I might go by myself and cry, but I'll say thank you. <laughs> right? Yeah. But just be aware. So, so if you've come from here and you've judged somebody else in ministry, or maybe, you work, maybe you're here and you, you're judging another church, let it go. That person doesn't rise or fall to you. They rise and fall to Jesus. I got to tell this one. I'm almost done, really. So here I am. Susan, I, I had a, a traveling ministry and I had developed a business to augment my income. And God kept speaking to me to go to a church in my hometown. I didn't want to go because I didn't like to pastor. And, I, you know, round peg, square hole for me just don't fit me. And he said, go. Am I saying it okay, Susan? Oh, Jesus, help me. I'm sitting on the back row one Sunday, so I started going, you know. And man, I'm judging. I'm judging everything. The praise and worship leader was late. He come running through the front door with a guitar in his hand. <laughs> Jack leg. That's terrible. I had a terrible attitude. I'm not kidding. <laughs> and the ushers, you know, here's a guy who's got a frumpy coat on. You know, everybody wore a coat and tie at the time. He's all frumpy. I said, like, come on, you do better than that. And then the pastor preaching. No, no, the praise and worship like, this is a real podunk right here, boys. We are podunk city right here. You know. I judged everything. Then I'm judging the pastor. You know, he could do better than that. And I'm sitting back, you know what the Lord said to me? Who are you? Just like inside, that you judge another man's servant. To me, he rises or falls. And he showed me how immature and unspiritual I was when I thought I was the most spiritual person in the room. Seriously, y'all, those are grow-up days. And you know what? I wouldn't give, you could say $50 million if you never went there. I wouldn't trade $50 million for that experience because it helped me grow up. And I learned to accept somebody that wasn't like me. And you know what? The, uh, the anointing to pastor, if you think I got one, it came from him. Every time I can say it to a person, I love you, it goes back to that man that I didn't like. In fact, when I pastored his church for him for a year, he, he dressed in a black robe the last service. I thought he was cuckoo. 
He was going to come back a year later. He, 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 he dressed in, it looked like a judge's robe. Everybody thinks he's crazy. He pulls that thing off, said, come here, Mitch, at the very end of the service, come here. And he said, I'm going to be gone for you. I pastored his church for him for one year, and I accepted his anointing, even though I didn't understand him. You know what happened when he ripped that robe off? He put that thing on me and zipped it up, and he said, he did. I, I said, well, look at him. <laughs> he said, I'm not making this up. He said, the same anointing that's on me is on you. I was, I've told this before, I was casting the devil out of a woman, and he was in the room. And the devil spoke out of that woman's mouth and said, I hate talking to him. I hate you. You love Jesus too much. I said, well, you got that right, you liar. That's right. You told the truth. This man was a loving man. Is it true, Susan? He was unusually kind and caring and loving. And I wasn't. I was the drill sergeant. And he taught me how to love. So the people you like the least can teach you the most. I'm done. Would you lift your hands up with me? Lord, thank you for your grace on each one. All of us have grace. All of us are at different places in life. We're going home for the rest of the week. Hopefully we'll be back Wednesday night. I pray. I pray for the hand of the Lord to be on every person in this room. Lord, any judgments we've made towards any person in our life and our past, whether it's a believer or a church leader or somebody on a, in a business that we've worked for, and we've judged them. Would you, for, would you ask, if you need, would you ask God to forgive you and help you? If you've handled it wrong, just like I have, see, would you ask God to help you and forgive you? He's got a lot of mercy. Lord, all of us, just before we go home here, doing some business with you, all of us, we get upset sometimes to misunderstand things. Forgive us for those things. And Lord, my prayer for all of us is that we grow. Help us to grow up spiritually and not stay where we are.